The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Paul Bestel. This is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 155, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my Mediterranean friend, Mediterranean <laughs> in spirit, at the very least, how you doing? I'm very well, very well. Yes. How are you, sir? I am good. I'm good. I'm on the precipice of something. I can't tell if it's just a cough brought on by how dry my goddamn apartment is when, now that everything is cold outside. Or if I'm getting sick, I'm balanced on that knife edge of, you know, hypochondria and annoyance and uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm currently, currently puzzling that out, but I will say, I, I got a quick story to tell now that we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've started the show today. I went to go look at another apartment. Oh. Now I'm here in Montreal for an indeterminate period of time. My lease extends until X in the room where I'm currently sharing, but I can't remember, I think it was on Instagram. I saw an ad for a new building and they were, they were trying to get people to come for, to, to view it for viewings. Cause they're only like 70% occupancy. Mm. So I looked at the website and genuinely there was no way I could afford it. And they're looking for year long leases, which is more than I can commit to anyways. But I thought, well, I'm going to make an appointment cause I want to see what this place looks like inside because I too am Mediterranean, specifically Italian. And that makes me nosy. So I want to know what everyone else is doing. <laughs> so I, uh, I went there and I, this morning and I had this, this appointment and now the building is, is exquisite. It's, it's a gorgeous building. The amenities look like something from, I don't know. It, it's, it's very fancy. There's a full built-in co-working space. There's a gym, a screening room. It's very pretty. And oh, the whole time I'm seeing all this, I'm thinking, I bet I cannot even come close to affording even a studio apartment in this place but I'm going to pretend like I'm not thinking that. Mm. And so she shows me around. She shows me the, the, the studio apartment, which is about the size of the closet I'm recording this in, I might add. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, this, oh, this is lovely. Um, do you have a one bedroom? Oh, yes. So she shows me the one bedroom, which is the same room, just with a smaller room in it, <laughs> I assume, so you can sleep <laughs> hanging from the ceiling like Dracula. And I then asked, what is the price? And I, I won't say on here, but what followed her giving me that price was my single greatest acting performance in any medium, possibly that I will ever give, mm. because I did not immediately shit myself so hard it blew out the seat of my trousers. <laughs> I went, oh, okay, okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. And what does that include? 
Perfect. Lovely. All right. Well, tell you what, I'm looking at a couple other places. I'll be in touch. And then I jumped out the window, never to return. <laughs> Did your eye start going like Inspector Dreyfus in the pink? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. I felt like such an imposter. All the people working in the co-working space were these young, slim professionals with their, ta- you know, their like pressed, tailored clothes. And I mean, I'm walking through there. I, you know, I look, I look good, but I don't look, I don't look like I walked out of TikTok and into the building, which is what everyone else said I looked like. Mm. And so that was, uh, yeah, that was the end of my adventures in high society. And <laughs> I, I'm quite comfortable living it that way. Mm. In better news though, we have some great news to share. And that is the new ghoststoryguys.com is up. Yeah. So we have a brand new website, which is, you know, much like the old boss, similar to the new website, but you can now order print on demand merchandise, just like you would from Redbubble or TeePublic directly from our website. And we partnered with a web, we've partnered with a platform called Fourth Wall. So they essentially provide the same services that Redbubble or TeePublic do, but you buy them directly from ghoststoryguys.com. We've added a few new designs. We've added things like uh, episode covers because we had people asking about you know, for example, uh, the mystery of missing time. So a lot of folks asked about getting that episode cover on a t-shirt. Yep. So now you can get that at ghoststoryguys.com. And uh, we'll be, hopefully, I'll be doing the same thing for Luke Lore in the coming months. And yeah, it's very cool stuff. And also, the um, there's another option on that website, which is something that people have done in past, is people have asked about a one-time, a one a one-time gift to the show. Maybe they, they don't necessarily want to join Patreon. Uh, because Patreon's app sucks, which it does. And instead they're asking, can we just give a one-time gift? And now you can, if you go to ghoststoryguys.com, there's a form to fill out right at the bottom of the page and you can, you can give a one-time gift to the show. We'll shout you out in the same segment as the patrons and just makes everyone's life a little easier. Cool. Yeah. And one little, one more piece of news. If you are, uh, again, if you want access to some of our bonus content, but you know, again, Patreon sucks. You don't want to navigate Patreon but you access the show through Apple podcasts soon, hopefully in the next month, you will be able to access for, uh, you know, via subscription fee and you'll get access to that right in your Apple podcatcher. Cause, cause I know some people have an issue with being able to access our content, uh, outside of Patreon, you know, some mm-hmm. apps will let you plug in a custom RSS feed, some won't, but, uh, if you're on Apple, then we're working on making as much of that patron content available there as possible. And you'll be able to subscribe right inside Apple podcasts. So we're looking forward to launching that. Keep an eye out. We'll, we'll mention it on the show when it finally goes live, but uh, yeah, that is some, some cool new news and then some even cooler stuff on the horizon. Speaking of patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're the topo to our G Joe, which is to say we are small, but together. We are mighty. And that, that's a deep cut. You guys are going to have to go looking for that one. <laughs> Every single person who listens to Ghost Story Guys helps make us who we are. But patrons are the ones who truly help the show go. You guys pay the bills. You guys provide the show's budget. Without you, there is no show. And we appreciate the hell out of every single one of you. And right now, we would like to specifically thank our latest patrons. They are... Oddly Cryptid. Oscar Giesbrecht. JJ907 Rama Sharma Molly Ann Charlie DePatry Carol Morrow Jackie Shafizadeh Guys, thank you so, so, so much. Again, we cannot tell you how much your contribution means to us. Patrons past, present, 
and what the hell, future as well. Every single one of you, we deeply, deeply appreciate your support. And if you'd like to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. If you listen to the end of the show, we'll tell you about all the cool stuff you get. But we will say for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. Who doesn't want that? Ads suck. Except for the ones Paul and I write, which are pretty great. (laughs) If you're a patron, you still get to hear those, but you get to choose to listen to them. You don't have to listen to them. And I think that makes all the difference. It it does for me at least. Patreon.com slash ghost story guys. All right. Shout out to our composer, a rainy days for ghosts. Rainy days for ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer, Jerry Smith. You can find Jerry's stuff on streaming platforms everywhere. And if you'd like to hire them for your latest project, shoot them an email at rainy days for ghosts at gmail.com. All right, Paul, it's almost that time. We have a great lineup of listener stories, including one that's well, really, it's just a good old-fashioned haunted house. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So during the break, Paul was telling me about this, this particular nightmare... <laughs> From from Hawaii. Uh, what What is it that happened today, Paul? Uh, a lady was nearly crushed by a massive boulder that decided to roll through her house in Hawaii. I think she lived in a in a suburb on Honolulu called Palolo. Uh, very, um, it could very well be. I don't know Honolulu that well. No, no, neither do I. But um, she um, she heard a fun, she was about to sit in her front room to watch some telly, and then she heard a funny noise, so she stopped. And as she stopped, this boulder just rolled past her and smashed all her front room to pieces. Oh, my God. Um, and it's all caught on camera. And she she was quite thankful. She's hurt her leg, so she was limping. And that's why she wasn't <laughs> as quick as she would normally have walked in her house. Because if she had, she'd be dead. Oh, wow. So she Man. seems quite uh, quite cheerful about the situation. So clearly she's got insurance. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if a boulder had not killed me and I lived in Honolulu and I had insurance, yeah, I, I might be okay with that too. Yeah. It, I mean, the footage is just like bloody hell. It's one of them. Oh, like, you, Jesus you, Christ. You got a link? You should, you should send me a link. I will send you a link. Hang on. <laughs> oh my God. The, the force of that, the, the, I, that is a very, very specific message from God. Probably Holy one shit. of the old gods, I would suggest. Oh yeah, that is yeah. That's that's. There's nothing New Testament about that. Yeah, that's Pele all day. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Well, check the show notes for that because that was incredible. Good <laughs> lord. No, that doesn't make me afraid of the natural world here, where it's about to get to minus twenty nine, and I'm twenty eight floors above the ground. Mm-hmm. Good times. All right. Well, you know, there's only one cure for this this terror you've inflicted upon me, Paul. And that is the email. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. All right. So as always, we love hearing from you folks. If you want to write us, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the place to send it. We do have a contact form on the website, but the contact form doesn't have anywhere for you to include pictures. So if you want to send us a, a photo or a screen grab, uh, then that it, the best way to do that is ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. So our first email is from Alicia. Hello, I love your show, mostly because of your laughs, which I find completely contagious. Thank you. 
I listen all the time while I clean house, paint, run errands, and walk to my kid's school to pick them up. Here's my story. I was watching To Catch a Thief years ago with my husband. During the costume ball scene, we just about fell out of our chairs. One of the extras comes directly to the front of the cameras and she looks like my identical twin. We watched it about 15 times and we were completely stunned. We showed our kids and my parents recently and they were dumbfounded. I'm not sure how to send you a picture here through this contact form, but other, there you go. Yeah, so, so via email, Alicia, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Um, but I can still send you the shot and a picture of me if I have direct email so you can see proof. Yeah, please send it. That'd be great. Interestingly, my dad was, interestingly, my dad was with his dad years ago before I was born and they ran directly into my grandpa's doppelganger. As soon as the guy saw my grandpa, he freaked out and started running through a huge crowd, pushing people out of the way as if he was running for his life. My dad is a veteran, very serious, and never embellishes anything. He swears this guy was an identical twin to my grandpa. I find it fascinating that both my grandpa and I have seen our doppelganger. I have no idea why or what that means as far as the cosmos go, but it's pretty weird. Keep up your great work, your humor, and your encouragement for people to pursue mental well-being. Cheers, Alicia. And Alicia, that's great. It's funny. I mean, there are, I, I like to say there are a finite number of faces and everyone just has a variation on a classic face. So I, I have seen, if, if you really watch people, you start to see it. You start, and, and sometimes their personalities kind of hold across. You know, there's a guy, for example, like a Bill. If I see a Bill, I think, all right, well, that guy's probably a Weasley bastard. And generally speaking, <laughs> the Bills are Weasley bastards. <laughs> it's kind of impressive in a way. Although yeah. there is a darker suggestion to this, Paul. Have you seen that movie, Three Perfect Strangers? Hey, it's me. I got the name wrong. It is Three Identical Strangers, not Three Perfect Strangers. No. Okay. So it's a documentary about these three uh, identical triplets. Oh, are they the ones that are all adopted and it ends up being some kind of um, sperm donor scandal thing type queer no, they were adopted. thing? They were separated as, as an experiment. Eesh. As I understand it, they, they, each of these, they were, they were um, not rented, adopted out to different families. And I, I believe a number of, of uh, identical siblings were as a kind of experiment to see what would happen if you brought up these people in different environments. And it was uh, very, very disturbing stuff. It really, it, it messed, one of them I believe passed from, from addiction. Uh, you know, this, the circumstances of his life were such that he just, he couldn't cope. But um, yeah, really, really fascinating stuff. Horrifying, but but interesting as well. Mm. Not that yeah. I'm suggesting that's what's happened in your case, Alicia. Sometimes there, as they say, there are also just a finite number of faces. Yeah. I'm I'm very annoyed that um, Andre Agassi stole my look. <laughs> well, I've been saying that for years. This Agassi guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who he thinks he is, but he stole Paul's look. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I went bald first and I shaved it all off. And obviously it's the 90s, so I had a bit of a goatee beard in my early 20s, you know, rocking it, rocking the pirate look. And then Andre Agus, because I love tennis, as uh, some people may be surprised to know. And um, so uh, I turned on the Australian Open. And and who who rocks up with his new shaved hair and goatee beard? But only Andre Agassi. He also has mm -hmm. had a thing for Steffi Graf, as I did. Where <laughs> he, he, he ended up marrying her. The bastard. God damn it. I'm telling you, that man's psyche. He reads my mind. Agassi, if you're listening and we know you are, we're coming for you. You hear me? <laughs> we're coming for you. Yeah, I'm only going to come and hug him because I love him. Okay. Well, that's fine. I probably, well, I'll hug you too because you won't like that and that works. <laughs> this, I, I will avenge my, fr my good friend Paul's look and uh, I'll get a hug. I'm pretty lonely these days, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hug it out. There we go. Local weirdos hug tennis superstar. I can see the news now. <laughs> tennis demigod. 
Our next message is from Kerry. I didn't catch that episode where you read my email and my stories when it first came out because I was traveling internationally, putting my podcast listing on hold during that time. I am back in my truck and I have jumped right on looking up these podcasts you recommended. I will add them to my rotation. If I don't enjoy any of them, Brennan, it's 100% your fault and 0% Paul's fault. Good man. Sure. (laughs) I want to tell you that hearing my stories read by the two of you, it allowed me to appreciate more than ever what great orators you both are. My stories sounded better than I thought they ever could with you guys telling them. Beautiful job. You perfectly captured the tone and mental pictures that I was aiming to create. I have an update on the story of the truck stop that I couldn't find. I found that truck stop. I had parked at the Flying J in Breezewood, PA, and I had thought it was a Petro because there is a Perkins restaurant at this truck stop. In addition to beginning with PE, the colour scheme for Perkins restaurants is similar to Petro truck stops. I feel rather dumb after basically bragging about how good I was paying attention to details. So much for that. As I type this email, I am parked at the Russian Georgian restaurant in Loganton, PA, a place that happens to have truck parking. This place is surrounded by Pennsylvanian forest, and it just feels creepy, like I am right at the edge of entering something ominous were I to walk into the forest. Don't worry, I won't. It's not that I have a problem walking in the forest. I simply save walking into the forest for areas where someone, like the National Park Service for example, has gone and modernised a trail going into said forest. No walking into this forest for Kerry. Oh, and something else I would like to share, mostly because it bears relevance for one of my included stories. I am a dude. <laughs> uh, Kerry, that was our bad. We, we made an assumption there. That was, that was on us. So, you know, I, I appreciate you writing in, man, because um, not everyone would do that, you know, when they recognise, oh, I, I, I missed the detail or I... Well, whatever you, you recognize your mistake. And again, not, not a lot of people do that. And I think, I do think some of the paranormal stories we get are kind of a result of people just maybe not, yeah, not recognizing their, their error. And they just go, oh, fuck it. You know, like, actually I, I just shared a story on book of the dead that uh, our listener, Foxy Peach, our patron Foxy Peach mentioned that, uh, you know, she said, this story is either fake or it is about someone who believes it may have found the body of a murdered girl. And just left it there. And I said, well, yeah, no, you make a great point. And looking at the, the comments on the forum where the person originally posted this, I, I thought, yeah, this is probably fake. And I think the person only realized what the story they had concocted suggested, which is that, yes, this does indicate as a child, they would have found the body of another murdered child. Uh, I think they only realized that after the fact. And then they were trying to do some fancy footwork to both explain why they never would have alerted authorities, but also, in, you know, keep the integrity of the story. And yeah, anyways, point being, they made that shit up and they just forgot to cover the tracks. Obviously, Carrie, you know, it's, you realized your mistake and you told us and, and yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And we will be sharing Carrie's stories on a future episode. Yes. And he doesn't want to go walking in the woods in Pennsylvania. No, Jesus, no. Especially in Chestnut Ridge. <laughs> anywhere, anywhere. In, in Pennsylvania, I, I put it to you, that is a bad idea. Yes. Yes. If you see Stan Gordon, run away. <laughs> Just stand behind him. Hey! <laughs> also, uh, just quickly, Carrie, you were saying, mentioning Perkins, man, you brought me back. I haven't been to a Perkins in years. 
Perkins, we used to call that because we didn't have one in Revelstoke. But when we would go to the town of Kelowna for like an out of town, you know, overnight trip, which that was, you know, like two and a half hours away. That was fancy time. 70,000 people in that town. And uh, <laughs> there was a Perkins across from the hotel we would always stay at. And so that was to us, that was upscale Denny's. So you go to, if we're going for breakfast at Perkins, we're having fancy breakfast. So this gives you an indication of, of what my upbringing was like. Well, I, I recognized one of the restaurant chains you mentioned there. The rest of it's complete alien language to me. Was it Denny's? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Denny's. I tell you, man, the pandemic, it, of all the things it destroyed, that it took apart Denny's may have hurt me the most. Because one of the things the pandemic has done is it's rec- made people realize, oh, yeah, life is short. I don't want to spend my life working, having someone shout at me for garbage money <laughs> while they make all of it. Well, I, I ran into a guy, uh, he used to work as a host at one of the places I would go to. And uh, he told me, he said, yeah, he said, I, I during the pandemic, I, I went back to school for economics and I've retrained. He said, I, you know, the money was fine, but the amount of bullshit to put up with, why would I? And mm. I think a lot of people have done the same. And consequently, Denny's is no longer 24 hours. And when Denny's is no longer 24 hours, or at least the ones in my, you know, when I was living in Victoria. Uh, something society, something at the core of society has got, has, is broken. The veil has lifted. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's the end of an era. We are now in a brave new world. <laughs> this one comes from Brendy. Brendy says, I was listening to your podcast and there was mention of taking rocks from foreign locations being a bad practice. <laughs> My husband goes to all of these really cool places I will never see for work. I'm pretty weird about rocks. And since I won't ever go to these places, I ask him to bring me a pebble or a rock back home. Should I feel bad about this? I mean, I, I don't think you need to feel bad about it, Brandy. I, I just, you know, there are there is a very troublesome uh, issue with some people taking rocks from sacred sites, places like this, places, you know, where, you, you know, you're specifically, you're asked not to take rocks and people will just do it anyways. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, if one person does it, well, that one rock is not going to hurt. But the problem is when you've got thousands upon thousands of people saying to themselves, oh, one rock's not going to hurt. Well, pretty soon the sacred site is primarily living in the lounges of a bunch of foreign tourists. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So uh, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. It's not, no need. But, uh, if it's a sacred site, you know, if it's, if it's important to any culture and you're told, you know, don't take a rock eh, don't take a rock. Mm. Or if it's cursed. Or if it's cursed. Yeah. Speaking of Hawaii, those, those guys get hundreds of pounds of rocks every year mm. from yeah. people who take, uh, take rocks and get subjected to what they believe is Pele's curse. Yeah, yeah. Pompeii, they have a real problem. People are chipping bits off and nicking stuff off corpses and things. Good God, they're bodies for fuck's sakes. Well, people don't care, do they? Some people, they just don't give a damn. So how'd you get that? That's really cool. Well, I went up to a dead body. And I broke its finger off. Oh, what a hero you are. You're someone I want to spend more time with. Here's some cauterized pyroclastic flow. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I remember a friend came back from Thailand and he brought two pieces of coral and I thought, what, are, what is wrong with you? What, well, they're for you. That <laughs> doesn't make something. me feel better. Now I feel worse. <laughs> Here's some dead, dead sea life. Enjoy. Yeah. This will I murdered you. something beautiful for you. What, what is this? <laughs> I want to play God of War. I don't want to live it. You can make it into a fancy crown. <laughs> oh, great. Great. I'm Poseidon of the living room. Fantastic. Ah, why not? We've all done that in the bath. Who hasn't? And we're learning stuff about Paul today, folks. <laughs>
I do sometimes think I am part merman, the amount of time I spend in the bath. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Our next message is from John. And John says, hope this email finds you well. Pretty much brand new to the show, so lucky me has loads of content to catch up with. Anyways, enough waffling. Living in the UK and poor being a Yorkshireman, I'm from the other side, Red Rose County, sorry. That's yeah, all right. I quite like Manchester. Don't worry. This story happened in Weatherby, ah, a small village in Yorkshire, which I'm sure Paul is well aware of. I was staying at a friend's house. It stood empty most days as their grandparents had died, but they kept it as a little getaway gaff. Me and my now wife used it every now and then for a weekend away from the real world. Well, one night just watching TV, I got a very odd feeling of being watched. I turned around and saw something I wasn't expecting. A mass of what I can only describe as twinkling fairy lights were hovering in the doorway, which joined the living room to the hallway. I gripped my missus and told her to look, me being obsessed with everything paranormal since I can remember. I couldn't contain my excitement at real proof. I'm not a nutter. My missus, on the other hand, is a complete sceptic. I jumped off the settee and ran towards it. It moved and fast up the stairs where I chased it into the back bedroom. I'd cornered it, and then I realised what I'd done and panic set in. What do I do now? Luckily, my better half had joined me just as it rushed me. I can't describe how it felt other than being plunged into a static-filled ice bath. It's the most bizarre and strange feeling I've ever felt, and just like that it was over. I stood there, every hair on end, and freezing but feeling completely justified that my obsession with ghosts had finally come to fruition. I've been back to this house a couple more times since, but nothing has happened. Even my wife, who witnessed it, still struggles to believe what she saw. Not what I'd expect a ghost to look like, but it was a life-changing event, that's for sure. Keep up the amazing work, guys. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, well, well they're a bit, they are a bit weird in Weatherby anyway, so. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Paul, not- Paul explained your mystery right there. Y'all just weird. <laughs> Well, they're not local, so you can't blame it on that. So, uh, oh, yeah, fair, I've got a, fair. I'm uh, I'm I'm above such patriotism towards counties. I've spent a lot of time in 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 Lancashire, so uh, there's uh, no no offence or, or rivalry there for me. So, what do you think about that fairy fairy lights? It's a very odd experience, by no doubt. It's it's not the kind of thing I would expect to be seen in a house. Um, no, no, no. I mean, Weatherby is a bit of a strange place because it's kind of one of the last towns in Yorkshire as you head to the northeast. You kind of hit okay. Weatherby, and then there's not much till you get to Middlesbrough. So it's right. just on the top of the um, Yorkshire Moors up there, which is a wonderfully lonely place. It's the kind of – if you were ever to wonder where werewolves could live in England, then the North Yorkshire Moors would be it, and Weatherby's on the beginning of it. So it's uh, it's a very rough and rugged area. Stunningly beautiful, but um, I would not be surprised strange things are around up there. All right. Well, thanks again, John. And yeah, let us know should you ever see something like that again. Final message today comes from Charlie. Charlie says, I'm waiting for the new episode and I'm listening to like a pep rally in hell. I have a question for you, Brennan. Why, oh, why didn't you think to check the back of the minivan in LA? I was like, holy shit, there's somebody in the back of the fucking van and the white car is trying to warn you. I also want to back up Paul's recommendation to watch Exists. It was one of the best Sasquatch films in a long time. Also, did either of you see The Hunted from 2013? 
It's one of the creepiest films I've seen. Not a greatly made film, but the content and especially the sound makes up for the lousy acting. The two guys are being stalked by a screaming female entity in the dense woods of West Virginia. Check it out. So thank you, Charlie. Uh, I, on your recommendation after uh, seeing this email, I did rent it. I have not watched it yet, but it's waiting for me in Google Play probably tonight. So I will, I will, I will mention on a, on a future show uh, what or, or you're a patron too. So I might even do it there, but I will mention how The Hunted is. Have you seen The Hunted Ball? No, I haven't. I'm refusing to watch anything else until I make myself watch the third part of the In Search of Darkness documentary. <laughs> fair, fair. All right, we'll watch this space, Charlie. And and uh, as far as the checking the back of the van thing, you, uh, oh no, you assume too much, sir. I checked the back of that van. I am the guy who used to check the back of my car every time I got in it. You bet your sweet ass I checked the back of that minivan every time I got in it. No, no. Brent does not get in any vehicle without first checking the back seat. I've been doing this show for too long. <laughs> there is no way in hell. All right. Well, thanks to everyone who wrote in. We love hearing from you guys. Again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. Your comments, questions, your stories, all of it. We love hearing from you. Again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And with that, it's time for the stories. The Room in the Eaves from Timothy. Hey guys, started listening a couple months ago while walking my dog and now can't wait for your latest episode. Thanks for the company. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. Got a story I've been thinking on for a while, though I'm typing it on my phone, so apologies for any spelling mistakes. Back when I was a kid, my parents moved into a big house with me and my brother. We weren't well off and the house was bigger than we would have been able to afford, except that it was in a bit of state. Lots of work needed to make it into a home. The house had four floors, including the basement, an old Victorian coal cellar, and an attic that had a staircase leading up to it. The basement has its own stories that I won't get into here, because they are 50-50 either ghost or home invasion. Yikes. Today I'm talking attic room. The stairs had no doorway, just a staircase with spindles that led down to the first floor landing, turning at the bottom to face my parents' bedroom door. When we first moved in, we noticed that the wall in the attic that would be directly behind you as you climbed the stairs had a raised lump in it, just over five feet high and a couple feet wide. My dad, being the inquisitive sort, wasted little time in whacking a crowbar into the lip of the lump and prying off a panel that had been fixed under the wallpaper. It had been covering an old doorway into the eave of the roof. The space behind was large and contained a few knickknacks of little interest. The main attraction was a large old dining table with six seats, set up, just fitting into the space. An interesting thing to set up in the eaves and then board up and paper over. We actually used the dining table for a while, although to my recollection we had to dismantle it to get it out of the triangular space. My dad fit a small door over the space and we used it as a bit of a dumping ground for Christmas decorations and random kit we didn't have use for. The door didn't fit perfectly and we would often find it wide open when we went to the attic. I always told myself it was an ill-fitting lock in the wind that opened it, to assure myself nothing paranormal was going on. But as a kid, I remember many times thinking how there was no draft in that room, and for all the rattling, I couldn't get the door to open without turning the knob. This was a good story to tell friends who stayed over, about the paranormal tea party in the attic with ghosts who leave the door open. It continued for a few years with little other than the door being regularly found open, 
until my parents had a light fitted into the eaves so we could see the clutter of stuff accumulating up there without a flashlight. Now, my parents would sleep with the door open to crack so they could hear me and my brother leaving our rooms in the night. Shortly after the light being fitted, shortly after the light was fitted, my dad woke up to a noise late at night. Looking to the door, he could see light through the crack in his bedroom door. Upon opening his door, he could see the light from the space beside the attic shining on the staircase. Not only was the door open, but the light had been turned on. He resolved himself to turn the light off and started up the stairs. Upon stepping on the third step, as his back was to the open doorway above him, he heard a click, and the lights turned off, and he was plunged into darkness. At this, his resolve failed, and after a few seconds of standing in the dark, he retreated back down the stairs, checked my brother and I were in our respective rooms, and went to bed. Lots of odd little occurrences like this happened in that house, but this was the most interesting. <laughs> Timothy, that's great, man. I, I got to tell you, I, uh, as I say, this episode is primarily haunted house themed and, um, I love stuff like that. Although I would say if I was dad and that happened to me, I would be going out for a pack of smokes and not coming back. <laughs> and no, no, not a jury in the world would convict you. They'd be like, what? The, the, the light did what? Yep. Not guilty. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be on trial for this, but if you were, the judge would not guilty. <laughs> for abandonment. There we go. There we go. He was last found crying in Denny's. <laughs> well, that is where you go to cry. I'll be honest. <laughs> Middle of the night, you want to cry? Denny's. Finding weird rooms in a house where you're not supposed to them is, is uh, something I always find very interesting because we had one in our haunted house. Yeah, that was the, uh, the little room in the bathroom, right? Yeah, with the door halfway up the wall, the little bed and the table in it covered in dust. You literally had Harry Potter's closet in your bathroom. <laughs> it's not all we had in that bathroom. The haunted, the haunted, <laughs> right, ask? the haunted flush. Oh, right. Of course. There you go. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast recently. And I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this. Uh, the podcast is, um, it's a podcast oddly about fatherhood, which of course I'm not, but I, I just kind of find, I, I find podcasts about being a man in 2023 interesting, you know, especially when it's not from douchebags. You know, when it's good men talking about what, you know, what it is to be a good man in 2023, I find that really interesting. Hmm. And they were talking about uh, stuff from the past and they asked the question, do you think that future generations, you know, our kids and their kids will look back at the stuff we have now with the same fascination that we did when we were kids and we would find, you know, uh, a bunch of our parents' old stuff in a basement. If we find a room walled off. Are we going to be, will they be as entranced with the stuff in there? Or is that, was that specifically because older furniture was cooler or are they going to find my, you know, my cheap shit, uh, Amazon tripod just as interesting as I found the gumball machine I dug out of the basement in 1990. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the sense of wonder doesn't change through generation to generation. They, we just find different things intriguing, don't we? Yeah. I, I'm just imagining someone pulling out an old laptop. I just, it doesn't, that doesn't seem as interesting to me as, you know, a gumball machine or, oh, look, this, one of those evil, uh, maiming dart sets, lawn dart sets that, uh, Mark Semler recently sent us a meme about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might be one of those things because obviously the, the, the thing we have is that things go out of fashion and then they come back, don't they? I mean, right. can you imagine 30 years ago when people, when everybody was buying CDs and, and you'd be, somebody said to you, 30 years time, there won't be enough vinyl 
factories in the world to keep up with demand? And you'd be like, shut up, you idiot. We're all going <laughs> to the future. We're all going to be listening to music on chips. What are you talking about, you idiot? <laughs> There's a lot of aggression in your future. <laughs> it's very Back to the Future 2 Biff timeline. I'm just, I'm just kind of pondering how a young person would respond at that point when you're holding a CD and somebody would say, you know, in 30 years' time, people aren't going to be buying them. They're going to be buying those things that CDs replaced. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, who buys CDs? Yeah. No, that's very true. I, the only time I buy a CD now is if there's a band who I want to support mm. and they don't have, you know, if, they're, if they don't have enough money to have vinyl pressed, then yeah. I'll, I'll buy one of their CDs. But I mean, yeah. here where I'm living currently, I, I don't think I have anything to play a CD with. You know, I'd have to just spin it on my finger and shine a flashlight on the goddamn thing and hope for the best. It's not like the good old days when you could stick it in your PS2 and that strange screen would appear with all the fireworks exploding on your screen. <laughs> it was a better time. And the oh. PS4 might play CDs. I'm not sure. I haven't tried. It plays movies, so I assume it plays CDs. No, I've, I've not, not, to be fair, I've had mine seven years. I don't think I've ever played a CD on it. It plays DVDs, so I can't see why it wouldn't. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I, I, I guess why would you? I mean, I... I used to collect CDs. I used to have, I at one point had about 500 CDs and then I just stopped because I wasn't listening to them as much. And then I just realized I don't, it, it was just became about accumulation. It, you know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't value these things. I just, it was like, I, I would always want more and collect them. And so I, I sold a bunch. I still have lots in my closet back in Victoria that I'm, I'm trying to sell. But uh, yeah, if you told me that I'd be swapping that up for a very, very, uh, highly curated vinyl collection, I would have thought you were nuts. <laughs> where were we? There was someone wrote us to send us a story. That's where all this started. <laughs> the Shadow Visitor from Sydney. This is the story that always stands out to me as the strangest, most unsettling paranormal experience I've ever had. I've shared this a few times and got some interesting interpretations, which I'll share at the end but I'm curious to hear what you think. I am the oldest of four children. My sister and I are close in age, and then there is a large gap between us and our two younger siblings. We were prepping for a trip to the mainland for groceries, and my mum was wrestling my brother back into his socks and shoes for what was probably the thousandth time in the hours it had taken us to get ready. While she did that, she asked me to run around to the back of the house to secure the gates and make sure our dogs stayed in the yard. Our house is in a secluded rural area, and there is a public hiking trail behind us, so we had a gate from the side yard into the backyard, and another from the backyard to a small personal trail that leads to the public one. The size of our house and the layout of the lot meant that once you stepped into the side yard, you couldn't be seen from the front yard. I ran to the first gate which was open and slammed it shut. I remember being unusually focused on closing it and the satisfying click of it locking into place, only to look up and realise that the one across the way, leading to the trail, was also sitting wide open. So I opened the first gate again and started my way towards the back gate. Our yard was sloped and always more rock and dirt than grass thanks to the abundance of huge old trees pressing in on us from all sides and there were often more than a few doggy landmines scattered throughout the yard, so I was focused on my feet when I felt a creeping sensation wash over me. I looked up and saw it, a tall black shadow. I remember it was human-shaped but quite tall, and the darkest black I'd ever seen. It didn't seem real, 
but it was so dark and so solid-seeming. There was sunlight streaming down through the trees, but I didn't see a shadow, and the light didn't touch it. The shadow was looking up through the picture windows in our second-story living room, and it seemed to be almost in awe. It was fully consumed in staring up into that window, like it was seeing something beyond the picture window. I stopped in my tracks and just felt pure, blinding rage building up inside of me. A very primal, get-the-fuck-off-my-land sort of feeling, which, being around eight or so, and a very shy, quiet, well-mannered child, was really unusual for me. The shadow looked at me and seemed to do a double-take, as if shocked. Then, it was just gone. I was a big lover of high fantasy novels, so I was expecting some kind of, like, puff of smoke or sound or something. But it was just one second completely physically there, and the next just gone. Powered by this unfamiliar rage, I ran to and past the gate, peeking behind the nearest trees, as if the shadow was just going to be standing there sheepishly. But there was nothing there. I slammed the gate shut, glanced over my shoulder, and returned to my mum. I didn't tell her about it then, partially because she was preoccupied and unlikely to believe me, and partially because I was still so confused about what had happened. This may be entirely unrelated, but my dad passed away suddenly at home. He'd been given six months but ended up passing a little over a month after the news, and we knew he wasn't doing well, but he went from seemingly okay and up and chatting to completely gone in a matter of hours. Much of the time he'd had cancer, and especially at the end, he couldn't lay flat so he'd been sleeping in his recliner in the living room. So the shadow was basically looking directly into the spot where Dad would pass twenty years later. People have said it could be anything from a death spectator to it being my dad himself, but nothing explains that sheer overwhelming rage I felt. I'm curious to know if you've heard anything like this before. So, Senior, thank you very much, and we, we share another one of your stories later in the show. Um, it sounds like the land th that this house is on is extremely powerful. Like, there's this, there's a lot going on there, is what I'm saying. There's there's a story that that um, that is told later where uh, something very angry is present. And I don't know, I, I kind of think, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I hesitate to connect it to, the father's, to your father's death just because it's 20 years in the future. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be happening in any one given spot. But if, I mean, the shock in, from the, the, the thing you saw uh, after you reacted to it, I mean, that could just be the thing itself being stunned that it's visible to someone. And I mean, the rage, that could also just be a child's sense of, some people who are really shy and quiet actually have quite a, a protective instinct to them. I'm the same. I, I would not connect that with the father's passing at all. I think the fact it was looking through the window is is inconsequential in regards to future events because who who would know how her father would pass away or or where or when really and and the behavior of it seems like it just seemed surprised to be there especially seems surprised to see Sinye. so i think there's not much connection there if anything i think it's something that just wandering through for some reason um and feeling angry i know fear can lead to anger so maybe the fear 
burst out in in an angry protective response because of the shock of seeing something so unusual yeah i mean as you say it's it's shock it makes me think there's nothing malevolent going on here nothing what malevolent but no i agree imagine being a ghost though because that'd be 100 percent what i'd be doing as a ghost is i'd be creeping in people's windows and but imagine, you know, you're, you're dead. You figure, well, now's my time to shine. And so you just start creeping everywhere. You're just, you're perving around the globe in shadow form. But then someone sees you. Imagine your shock because all of a sudden you think, shit, how many people have seen me doing this? You know, it's, it's like having a dream. I don't know if you ever had a dream where you, no, no, never mind. Let's, let's not, let's not delve into this. Let's not learn any more about me. <laughs> I mean, how do we not know that as we were talking on the last story about a sense of wonder? of discovering things. How do we not know that that was what was going on there? And that's why it was so interested in it. It was like, wow, what's this? Yeah. Yeah. It could very well be. I mean, again, you're, who knows if this is a, you know, I say a person, like someone who was a person or something else entirely beyond our sort of sense of understanding. They could have just been marveling at the world, which is not to invalidate your reactions in you. I mean, it's, it's, you know, no, it's perfectly normal to want to defend your, your home from an outsider. But uh, I, I do wonder if it was just, yeah, just sort of a traveler moving through. I often like to look at it from this point that we often don't take into consideration the reactions of these visitors because there is often that theory of, of time slips and things like that. How, how do we not know that they were as surprised as you were because they dropped into something where they were like, what on a, why am, what's this house doing here? This house has never been here. What's all this about? Yeah, a lot, a lot of possibilities there. Mm. So again, Absolutely. thank you for sharing, Sinya, and, and we look forward to sharing your second story towards the end of the show. You could always tell we were going to get a good story with someone with such a fabulous Scandinavian name. Yes, I had to look up the pronunciation, which I noticed you did not, and I hate you. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're not. No. <laughs> the House from Anonymous. My husband and I were house-sitting for a friend of family. We've been doing this for the multiple times a year for at least the last eight years. They'd leave for six to eight weeks at a time and leave us with their two dogs. Here's what you need to know about this house. It was a brand new build about 10 years ago and the land was a farmer's field before that. It's in a small rural town about 40 minutes from a major city. The couple who live here don't believe in the paranormal. Interestingly enough, they tend to bring home strange trinkets from their trips that have weird vibes. Some of these things give me the creeps. They even creep out my husband, who is very much a skeptic. I blame the trinkets for the weird that goes on in this place. I'm going to try and quickly list some of the weird things that have happened and then tell you about the most recent experience. There are places in the house that we just avoid. The basement used to be welcoming when we first started house-sitting. Then about two years in, the feel completely changed. Now we avoid it. The dogs don't even want to go down there for very long. The wife's office is oppressive. It feels like there's something in there hovering over your shoulder. For a year or so, I just couldn't go into the wife's office. If I did go in, the whole house would feel heavy after. It got to the point that when I would first arrive at the house, I would make a deal with the energies. I would say something like, hey house, I'm going to be here for X amount of time. We can coexist together. I won't go in so-and-so's office as long as you don't bother me. I don't want to see or hear you. Unfortunately, sometimes I have to use the printer in that office. At that point, I announce myself, let the host know I will be in there for X amount of time, and apologize for the inconvenience. It sounds ridiculous when I type it out, but that's what needed to be done. 
The older dog stares at things on the stairs that I can't see. Sometimes I can even see her tracking something with her eyes. About four years ago, I was looking for muffin pans and had searched multiple cupboards. I was reaching for another door when I heard from right beside me, Not there. This was shocking, but it didn't feel scary. I said, Thank you, and moved on to the next cupboard, and there, there were the muffin pans. The energy has been feeling heavier the last few times we've been there. Recently, I've noticed that my mental health suffers more when we are there. At first, I thought this was just because it was winter most times we were there, and my depression is worse then, but I've noticed a pattern. This last time was particularly bad. I had been making some real progress with my mental health, and then we went there, and I was thrown back into the deep, dark hole of depression and intrusive thoughts. Within days of leaving the house, I was back to how I had been feeling before we were house-sitting. Obviously, I understand that mental health and healing is basically this roller coaster ride of ups and downs, but this experience was abnormal, and I think the house exacerbated the issue. Anyways, moving on. We arrived at the house in early to mid-November, and stayed there until just before Christmas. The first week or so we were there, I was standing in the kitchen, working around 11am. From the corner of my eye, I watched the soda stream machine move. It scooted across the corner about 10 centimeters. I heard it move as well. That freaked me out. A lot of weird things have happened in my life, but I think that's the first time I've really seen something move in real time. I stood there just staring at this thing, trying to rationalize what happened. I went through, oh, maybe it was a reflection from something moving outside. Maybe there was water on the counter and it slid. All that random stuff you tell yourself. But once I got over the shock and took a closer look, it had actually moved. It was no longer straight. It was on an angle and had moved to the left. I checked for water, I banged on the counter, I lightly pushed it. That thing was not easy to slide. Once I realized I couldn't explain how it moved, I did the crazy thing and yelled at the soda stream. I sternly told it and the house that I didn't appreciate its nonsense. I didn't want to see things, I didn't want to hear things, and they could fuck right off. I never saw anything else move after that, but things still happened. For example, a few days after that, the kitchen sink came on by itself. The week after that, I was sitting at the dining room table on a Friday or Saturday night, finishing up some work I had been procrastinating on. I could feel the energy in the house change and start building, like it was ramping up to do something. There was that weird charge in the air. It felt like I had to get out, like something was driving me out. I had that instinctual desire to just get up and flee the house. Being the silly person that I am, I refused to let this house get the best of me, so I told it to wait, as I was almost done what I was doing, and then I would leave for a few hours. Thankfully, nothing happened, but that desire to flee never left. Once I was done, I left and went to a friend's place for a few hours. It felt like I was chased out the door. You know that feeling when you've turned the light off in a creepy basement and have to run up the stairs in the dark and you're afraid to look back because you swear there's something just behind you? It felt like that. When I came home around midnight, nothing was amiss, and I was shocked. The next thing could be weird electrical, but, but I'm not really sure. There was a snowstorm, and the power had been flicked off and on a couple times early that morning. We had already been at the house for at least three to four weeks. The alarm in the master bedroom, that I don't sleep in and rarely even go into, started going off. It was on the radio setting, so all of a sudden at 5am I can hear voices. I am a coward, and sent my husband out to take a look. He turned the alarm off. Later that evening, it went off again. I went up and turned it off this time. The following day I went off again, and again my husband turned it off. These were all at random times. Now, you can definitely argue that this was just because the power went off and the clock was never reset, 
but later my husband told me he had flicked the toggle switch on the back to turn it off each time. This whole house is set up to just be creepy. Weird trinkets everywhere and the two spare rooms upstairs are strange. The couple's son has named the rooms, the creepy doll room and the hall of mirrors. Honestly, I can't even make this shit up. One room is full of old stuffed animals and dolls with old black and white family pictures on the wall. The other room has at least five mirrors in it. It's hard to choose which room to sleep in, but we go for the Hall of Mirrors? Jesus Christ, you're braver than I am, Anonymous. Thankfully, nothing bad has happened in our rooms. Well, hallelujah. It's never even felt bad to me. Perhaps that is because of my own grounding and protecting practices. I actually stopped listening to your podcast because I was worried it would trigger more activity. Like attracts like, right? I'm not sure it made a difference. Just another reason to be mad at the house. I could be caught up if I had listened for those six weeks. It's unlikely we will house it again. I say that every time, but I think I mean it this time. I've already turned down the next time they travel. The whole feel of the house is weirder than it's ever been. I've contemplated cleansing the house, but it's so big and there's so much stuff, I feel like it would be getting it over my head if there is something there that wants to stay. And Anonymous, man, there, there's so much there. One of the things I, I wanted to say is, uh, first off, is um, I think it's a good idea not to spend more time there. Because, you know, if a place is like, Spirit, if a place is spiritually not good for you, it doesn't matter how much you protect, that will eventually seep in for you in some way, especially if, if you're like me and it sounds like you are, you, you struggle sometimes with mental health and intrusive thoughts. I very much have that problem and I have to really be careful about where I spend my time. Um, uh, yeah. Before I go on, Paul, do you have any thoughts? Well, you always have to be careful because many experiences over the years have always talks about feeling drained or affecting people's personalities and trains of thought. So wouldn't be the first time I've heard of someone having negative thoughts through a haunting experience. Yeah. I'm always wary of people who say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. Sometimes you should be, you know, there, fear is a healthy, useful emotion. It's a useful tool. It's, you know, there's no moral failing attached to it. You know, I mean, to live in, to live in fear, to be ruled by fear, that's no good. But fear is fear is a useful thing, and and to be aware of it is is very smart. You know, right. I, uh, I I just finished a little while ago reading this book, uh, Highway of Tears by Jessica McDermott, and it's it's sort of a look into the missing women, missing and murdered uh, women, up in northern BC along the Highway of Tears. And you know what's happening up there is complex. You know, it's it's not as simple as oh, there's one crazy evil serial killer roaming around. There's a lot of socioeconomic issues that are causing these these women to be murdered. I mean, there are people murdering them. It's, that's too passive. They're being murdered. They're being murdered by men. They're being murdered in some cases by women and in some cases by people they know. But one of the things that kept coming up in the victim studies in the book was the author kept saying, the author would quote her fam, the family and friends as saying, she wasn't afraid of anything. And, and now I, I'm not in any way blaming the victim for their, for their murder because that's, that's bullshit. But I will say it's not a good thing to never be afraid. Hmm. You know, be, be smart with how you apply your fear and you'll live a hell of a lot longer. Uh, but again, that's, that's not saying that the, the victims in any way were responsible for what happened to them. They were not. That is solely on the, per, the perpetrator of the crime. But uh, I just, it was just one of those things where I, I got me thinking about how we, we love to minimize the role of fear and pretend like any, any evidence of fear is, is weakness, but that is just smart. Fear is mm -hmm. just smart. And on, on the subject of energy, you know, um, anonymous, you might uh, remember me talking about going to the pub quite a bit. You know, when I was first living in Montreal here, I would go to the pub, you know, most sometimes, you know, four, four times a week, just something to do, right? I had found this local I quite enjoyed. 
And I did. I, it, it was really, it was welcoming. I would stay there till, you know, midnight one, I'd read books, you just have a beer, kind of watch the crowd. But my friend who I'd also go there with sometimes, we, we noticed that something changed. Something changed. And if we were there on a busy night, it didn't matter how good a mood I was in to start with, after a little while there, it would start to shift. Mm-hmm. And we noticed that everyone who worked there seemed, it was after Halloween, everyone seemed much less happy. They seemed much less, everyone was just angrier and sadder. And it was just like, there, there was a whole vibe change yeah. in the place. And my friend and I have a great time when we go out together and we shoot the shit, you know, it, it, we have a great time. But after a while, when the environment had soured so much, it started to even affect us. And so I, I think, yeah, when you go someplace, it doesn't matter how resistant you are after a while, if, you, if you're there long enough, it's just going to get through. Mm. Definitely. It can be a slow, steady trickle as well. It doesn't have to, it, it, Sometimes people presume it's just going to be a big of negativity and, and often it can be a very small chipping away that builds up over time. Yeah. And, and that's almost the more, I think that's actually the more dangerous one because, you know, it's it, like, like Anonymous said, you know, you, oh, I'm going to go, I'm not going to go back anymore. And then you kind of, after a while you think, oh no, I'm, maybe I'll go back. I'll, I'll house it again. Yeah. But it's the worst thing you know, yeah, that's it. And, and it's just, it's a slow kind of soul poisoning. And again, yeah. it's especially dangerous when you have intrusive thoughts. Like I, there are times, man, where it's it, the intrusive thoughts are, and they're never good. It's never an intrusive thought. Like, boy, what a great day. Let's go get tacos. You know, it's, it's, it's always like, you're a piece of shit. You should stop doing everything. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it, I just, sometimes it's like, it's, I mean, I know it's coming from you, but there are times where it's like, it's coming from outside you. Yeah. It's so, it's, it just, it, it'll, it'll come in unbidden, mm. you know, just pop into my head. Mm. And I know if I'm in a place that, again, like, like that bar, you know, I, it would, I would really start getting a lot of intrusive thoughts after a while, mm. after being in there, these really negative, negative thoughts. And it was, you know, no one was being shitty to me, but there was just this air of unhappiness in the place. Mm. And I just think it, yeah, the, the less time you spend there, the better. And this might also be overstepping anonymous. So, you know, you can tell me, send me, write me an email, tell me to go fuck off, but, um, it wouldn't be the only one lately, but, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. The, the email I expected, I, w- I didn't expect the singing telegram too. I mean, that was a lot. <laughs> I respect the game, but damn. <laughs> but, um, I'm curious to know about your friend's relationship and how well that's going for them. You know, like they're, they're, what is, what their dynamic is like and how well, how, how happy they are together at the moment. No, don't, this is not information I need, but I, I'm just curious, you know, cause I, I do know sometimes if you're in a domestic situation with, with someone and, and things are not great, that can leave a kind of fog. Or if, even if things are good, if they, they may not believe in the paranormal, but it's not impossible that they are also affected by it. Well, just because you don't believe in it doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, I, I've I've told this story before, but I, I have a friend who works in the mental health field, and they they told me that you know this person's very sensitive, and they said you know most of the time my job is just triaging people and sending them to see a mental health professional, but they said sometimes someone comes in and I can visually see an entity hanging off them. I can see mm-hmm. that their you know, their problem is not caused by chemical imbalance or by lifestyle situation by, by life situation. It is literally being caused by an entity sucking the life out of them mm-hmm. and I can't do anything about it. You know, I can't tell them, oh, just, you know, maybe try X or Y. She just says, I, you know, cause that my dad is not my job. My job is to send people to the therapist who will then, you know, prescribe the meds or, or, you know, some combination of treatments, but they, you know, they are aware that there is this extra, you know, external dimension and they just, they are helpless 
in the face of it. And again, I, I, I do think that that has some bearing on, on some of these issues. A good old fashioned haunted house from Tracy. I live in Toronto, Ontario, and had the blessing of moving into High Park in Toronto when I first arrived here in the late 90s. High Park is one of Toronto's original neighbourhoods, with grand three-storey brick homes that are rarely held as personal homes any longer, with most having been converted to multiple rental dwellings over the years. When I first moved to Toronto to join my boyfriend, now husband, we were living in the basement apartment of one such three-storey house. The main floor was another apartment, and the upper two storeys were the third. It was a lovely house, great tenants, and an awesome landlord. I'll set up the visual of the apartment so that the story may make better sense. Our entry door was on the side of the house. Upon entering, you stood on a landing that had six or so stairs leading down into our apartment with open railings on either side. On this same landing were two additional stairs to the left that led upwards into the drywall. Back when it was a single-family house, this would have been the original staircase from the main floor to the basement. The stairs leading into the wall made for a handy spot to store shoes and we gave it no thought. Upon descending the stairs into our apartment, you would have the living room, office space to the right, and to the left was the kitchen, and beyond that the bedroom. In the kitchen we kept an answering machine just beside the fridge and outside our bedroom door. Yes. This was the 90s, and answering machines were still a thing, but we had subscribed to a telephone answering service and turned the answering machine off, leaving it plugged in, but collecting dust. The apartment was long and somewhat narrow. This meant that when lying in bed, you could sit up and see straight down the length of the apartment to the television in the living room area, if the bedroom door was open. One of the first experiences I had was upon returning home one day mid-afternoon and I thought I would enjoy a moment to watch TV and relax for a bit. Sitting in my living room, with my head turned slightly to the left to observe the TV, the stairs were to my right. Unexpectedly, I noticed what appeared to be a shadow or shape in my periphery at the top of the stairs on the landing. The motion of this shape appeared around the corner from my stairs and then continued further up the two stairs that led to the drywall. In hindsight, it was though someone had gone up the original basement stairwell and continued through the drywall up into the main floor. I fully convinced myself that I was seeing things, but I couldn't explain it away as a trick of light, as the house beside ours was quite close, and sunlight never shone between the two homes. Either way, it was a hmm moment, and quickly forgotten. A second experience occurred when I was home alone one evening as my boyfriend had gone out of town for the weekend. Our office area was the same end of the apartment as the living room, but on the other side. When sitting at the computer desk, you were facing the wall with the rest of the open space behind you, the living room area to the left. I was up late one night exploring the new computer and internet that we now had, and was fully engrossed in writing and exploring, paying zero attention to my surroundings. I experienced what I'd call a full interruption in mid-thought by a very strong feeling of cold and that someone was standing behind me. I sat up straight, remaining forward toward the computer and took a pause to collect my bearings. 
I didn't want to turn around, but I clearly felt the presence of someone. Not a scary feeling other than the interruption, and the clear feeling of being with unexpected company. I remember using my aunt's advice and saying out loud, I don't want to see you. I'm not ready for that. To encourage whoever or whatever was there to move along. Suddenly, the chill feeling dissipated and I felt my hackles settling back down. After another moment, I turned around to check the space and of course, there was nothing. At no point in either of these experiences did I sense any malice just the presence of someone else. A third experience occurred when my boyfriend and I were in bed. I often settled early and was sleeping before he came to bed. He was a night owl. Because of this, he would stay up and watch TV quietly so not to disturb my sleep. I've never slept well and the environment needed to be quiet and dark. He had come to bed at some point and we were both soundly sleeping when all of a sudden... Our TV at the other end of the apartment came on full blast. The volume may have disturbed our upstairs neighbours it was that loud. Definitely not the volume he had had on the TV before coming to bed. We both sat straight upright in bed and it took a few moments to process what was happening. My boyfriend got out of bed to turn the TV off and after turning the volume down to a normal level before doing so. He tried to explain it away as a fluke, but it was not terribly convincing. A fourth experience occurred whilst I was in the bathroom, which was just outside our bedroom, with the door facing the kitchen area. My boyfriend was doing dishes when I heard him say, What? I didn't answer because I assumed he was responding to the TV or something, as he certainly would not be engaging with me while I was using the washroom, and had said nothing to merit his query. A moment later, he yells louder, What? And I again ignored him. Within the next minute, he suddenly opens the bathroom door and asks, What do you want? I first berated him for disturbing me and asked him what he was talking about. He said I'd called his name three different times and he heard my voice clearly coming from the bathroom door. He thought I'd been teasing. I explained that I definitely had not called him at any time and I didn't appreciate the interruption whilst in the bathroom. When I came out, he confronted me on the practical joke he thought I was playing on him, and upon seeing my face denying the allegation, he became quiet. This was my fourth experience with unexplainable things, but only his second. He couldn't explain it, but was not willing to assume anything paranormal, so it simply got ignored again. The final experience was the most baffling. Again, I had returned home from work midday. Per usual, I descended the stairs and made my way to the left to go back to the bedroom to change my clothes. As I walked past the open kitchen and into our bedroom, my periphery noticed something and I backed up two steps into the kitchen area again. The answering machine that I previously described as being powered off and collecting dust on the counter beside the fridge was blinking a red light indicating a new message. I froze. Not only was the unit turned off, but it was also collecting dust, completely unused for some time. It felt like I'd stood there for several minutes before reaching out to push the play button. When I did, 
I heard about 20 or 30 seconds of scratchy static and nothing else. The message concluded itself and silence returned. I noted that my two touches were the only marks in the dust of the machine, clearly not having been physically touched by anyone other than myself. We moved from this apartment not long after. Not due to this. It never felt malevolent. The presence... Hey, fuck off. The presence as I... (laughs) The presence as I grew to call it felt feminine and it felt like the efforts to make itself known were escalating. I've always been curious what may have continued to happen had we stayed. I got the sense that it was simply a previous female who had lived in the house when it was a full home and not just apartments. I hope she found peace in the afterlife and that her visits were simply meant to communicate she was still there. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tracy. I always like anything that involves a paranormal reaction to electrical items in such ways. Like the answering machine, for example? Mm Mm-hmm. And the TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a very similar experience in a shared house involving a music station, which I may have mentioned previously, where we were sat around talking, listening to music, and then we decided to turn the CD player off. So you go back to CDs again. Turn the CD player off, and we were we were playing PlayStation, I think. I think we were playing on the, on the PlayStation or something. And um, we were sat talking 10, 15 minutes, and then the CD player came on, just burst into life, full whack, but it started on track 10. Um which it hadn't been on when we turned it off. Right. And the way the CD player worked, if you turned it back on, it wouldn't physically start unless you pressed play. And if you did press play, it started at track one. It would never remember a track it had been on before being turned off. It would always start again at the beginning and you had to skip forward to get there. So we tried everything to replicate it and we couldn't make it do that at all. And even if even if it had been a power surge, I find it very hard to believe that a power surge would specifically choose track ten on an album. <laughs> Maybe it really it it really thought that song was a banger. Well, it was. It's a very good album, cast by cast. But I, I as with anything like that, I would always try and explain it and, and work out and see. And when I couldn't figure out how it had happened, I just went, hmm, "That's weird." But obviously, weird in a that's probably a ghost telling us which track right. it preferred. Yeah. Not that, not that oh, that's a bit odd. I go, yeah, well, the ghost wants to listen to that song. Find it. Fair enough. No problem. I will say that's, I think, a bit of a problem for us, you know, because we steep in this stuff, because this is kind of our, you know, represents a large part of our lives. The stuff that other people would have this really intense reaction to, we just kind of go, yeah, that happens. So what's for dinner? You know, it, it, <laughs> I, I, I mean, even TVs are a prime example of that. Even these days, yes, if you turn your telly on mine, if I turn it off, and I turn it back on, it will return to the volume it was on before it was turned off. So how a TV that was turned off would then burst into life at full volume, I just can't explain. It's almost like, you know, whatever is happening, it's hard to do it subtly. You know, it's, it's you have to exert so much force in order to make something happen mm-hmm. that it just, everything comes on at maximum. You know, you can't just like lightly flip on a button. It's It's either mm-hmm. all or nothing. So maybe what was over there just didn't understand what these things were. And that's why it came on. Cause they were like, Oh, what's this do? <laughs> Boom. Yeah. I was also thinking what, what a pure innocent time when we would just turn on the computer and say, what's this internet stuff all about? 
That's probably why she was coming home at midday, because it would take three hours for something to load up. <laughs> By the time I finished my first shift, that JPEG was done loading. <laughs> I just logged on to Geosites. Oh, man. Yeah, I was waiting for my real player to finish buffing, buffering. <laughs> I opened up my AOL connection. <laughs> oh, we're dating ourselves here. <laughs> I, I remember when email came to my elementary school. And I, I got a, a an email pen pal, and that's all it was good for. It was just email. It was just like an internet kind of thing. Mm. And this just blew our minds. <laughs> and, you know, oh, you've got a pen pal, and she's all the way in the school up on the hill, and you'll just send these electronic messages to each other. Ooh. And, <laughs> and it was funny because they, they partnered, they tried to partner the kids up with people who were, you know, like you. So the the person I got is actually someone who, funny enough, we we end, we still live in Victoria in the same building mm. after having been pen pals in Revelstoke 150 years ago. But <laughs> I they gave me a second pen pal because I was faster at reading and typing and stuff. And it was almost like they didn't have anyone else to give this kid to because mm. the, the teacher even kind of sheepishly said, well, we know this isn't really kind of your thing, but Jimmy likes baseball and stealing cars or, you know, whatever it was. It was something very unlike me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes paying homeless men to fight for scraps of cheese. And, and I just remember this guy would send me these messages and it would be like, well, you know, today we took the tires off the truck and, you know, we fought the jets in a dance battle down on the docks. You know, it was a completely, completely different experience from mine. And, uh, you know, it was not a love connection. We'll say that much. It's funny. I actually think about a lot of the guys I went to school with and I think, I bet, how many of these guys are in prison now? You know, like, I, there was one, one guy I went to school with. Dave. No, sorry. No, no. It, it was Dave's cousin. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he ended up in, uh, on Crime Stoppers. <laughs> and I, th Dan was this guy's name, Dan. Dodgy Dan. Dodgy, he was Dodgy Dan. And, uh, I remember Dave got a hold of me. He said, Hey, Bren, my, uh, my cousin's on Crime Stoppers. Uh, I know where he is and I really want a new snowmobile. You think it would be shitty to turn him in? Cause there's a cash reward. I said, no, man, go for it. Get your, get your snowmobile. Whatever it is he's done, odds are he deserves this. Mm. Does that family only like the letter D? It <laughs> makes it easy to remember. She's dad called Darren. Uh, dad was also Dave. It's <laughs> uh, like a friend of mine. His parents are called Paul and Paula. <laughs> That's not fair. Mm. Strange. Wait, the, the parents are Paul and Paula or the kids are Paul and Paula? Paul and Paula are the parents. Wow. Yeah, he doesn't listen to the show, so I can say he lives around the corner from where I am right now. But uh, he doesn't listen. <laughs> but uh, he's he's my occasional drinking drinking buddy in the local hostilleries, and uh, known each other a long time. So uh, it's quite funny. We live around the corner from each other. It's quite strange. Well, we had Dan, Dave, and Dave. <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> Daryl. I did. I did go to school with a Daryl. Different guy. <laughs> I actually had another girl I went to school with. Very, very lovely. Well, uh, very beautiful. Not a great person. But um, I shouldn't say that. I didn't really know her very well. She was she had a, <laughs> she had a, she had it hard coming up. I don't want to be shitty, mm. but she also was on Crime Stoppers one time. I'll never forget that turning on the television. Oh, yeah, it, it just occurs to me now. I had you know a small town like that. A lot of people you look back and think, yeah, I wonder wonder crime what crimes it was you were convicted of. Mm. Like I, I used to hang out with these guys, Russell and Bobby, and uh, they they lived in a trailer in the middle of a field with their parents, but they're the kind of kids that parents were never home. So I just remember going over to Russell and Bobby's house or the trailer in the middle of this field. And they were just, yeah, it was just, it was like Lord of the Flies. You could just do whatever the fuck you wanted. 
<laughs> and I, I'm not sure. I, I didn't, I didn't hang out with them long, probably for a reason. But uh, you know, they struck me as the kind of kids where, like, whatever you want could be either cereal for dinner and video games, or trying to insert firecrackers into animals. Yeah, you know, like it was. It just struck me as it could go either way, and I'm not really sure which way they leaned. I did know two guys who did the firecracker thing. They were garbage. Uh, but uh, anyways, this has all gotten very strange. Yes, very much so. Even I'm traumatized. <laughs> yeah, and you put cow's eyeballs through uh, letterboxes. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't kill a cow to do it. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't making it a one-to-one comparison. No, no, no. Run around with a spoon. <laughs> Come here, Flossie. Listen, I've nearly been killed by cows, so I respect them. That's right. We have an understanding. Yeah. That's the one of the most terrifying moments of my life. When you were nearly killed by the cow. Cows. I was- Cows, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a herd of cows stampeded towards me and, and tried to trample us. Well, I, mean, I remember after we told that story in the show, someone commented and said, that's, that's something that happens. Like yeah, People yeah. are killed by cows every year. Yeah, it happens more than it- it people were aware of i think it i think something ridiculous like six people last year in the uk were killed by cows that's mad not bulls I mean, cows i yeah i guess we've we've done so much bad shit to cows that, that we've just got it coming they're just building the tide it, cows with guns was not a novelty song by dr <laughs> demento that was a prophecy and you know i was with my dog at the time i never let him off in a field where there were calves or anything because you don't want to scare any animals sure. like that and respect them and they ran half a mile to get us bastards <laughs> i am not exaggerating we got away with the skin of his teeth if we if madness. we'd have been a second slower we'd have been seriously hurt easily holy shit i didn't realize it was that close yeah and the fuck has followed us into a wood we haven't seen a cow in a wood the fuck's all that <laughs> the fucker we had to run around this thing and it went down this staircase down onto this stream and one of the fuckers was just stood at the top Staring at us like Jaws. <laughs> Bastard. I was expecting it to come down the fucking stairs the way it was acting. I was like, fucking hell, I'm going to have to fight a cow. One, I might have a chance, but I'm not fighting a herd. One, come on, have some of that, son. Uh, you know, <laughs> while I do not advocate cruelty to animals, part of me does want to see you box a cow. Only, only in the reasons of self-defense, I would never willingly pick a fight with a, with a cow. No, of course. So yes, be aware, cows can kill. I have no idea how we got here from a haunted house, but thank you, Tracy. I think, is that still the story we're doing, Tracy? Hyde Park? Hyde, Hyde Park? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was a journey. Yes, it was you and your dodgy school friends. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Firecrackers. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. The Pit from Senior. This will be our last story for the night. This one could probably be classed as a dream, but it was exceptionally unsettling, so I'm including it. My grandma was a remarkable and remarkably strange, wild, witchy woman. She had a connection with the earth, particularly her property, on the same island as I've mentioned in my other stories, that I can only classify as magical. She was always outside doing something, be it puttering in her garden, mowing the several acre property, fussing with her elderly apple trees, or dragging her trampoline around the yard. We slept on that thing more often than a bed during the summer, and the land always felt warm, welcoming, and magical. This was definitely partly her. She made us dance to call the rain or sun, threw huge parties when the power went out and it was stormy, was constantly pranking people, and specialized in making a delicious stone soup, soup from a stone, or so she said. 
She even had a sleep monster that would doodle elaborate, beautiful designs on us when we slept. I still haven't figured out how she managed that since the handwriting and drawings never looked like hers. But there was always a deeper something there too. Her house was my safe place, a fun place where nothing could get me, and I would roam the hilly landscape, play in the deep pond, and snooze under the weeping willows. The first time I set foot on her property after she passed, the grief hit me like a ton of bricks. I felt like all the light and warmth had been sucked out, leaving it hollow and empty. But this grief felt like it was more somehow. Having lost my dad and then my grandma's husband, I was becoming quite used to grief and how I processed it, and this felt so much bigger than me. It was like the ground itself was keening in pain, and the house felt so lonely it made me cry. Perhaps it was truly my own grief manifesting, but it honestly felt like there was something on the property that was mourning her as much as we were. I've always considered myself a bit sensitive, and the emotions that came crashing in were so strong. This thing felt old, ancient even, and I felt a mix of rage and desperation, this aching loneliness that made it want to rip things apart and scream. I normally roamed all over the property, but this time I barely left the house as we quietly packed up the remnants of her life. Even trips to put things in the truck felt risky. Several weeks later, my aunt and I were discussing the land, and I mentioned how I'd felt that day. She agreed, saying she'd felt the same and had every time she'd been back. I only managed to go back the once. It was just too much for me. But she visited frequently to make repairs and check on the place. After our talk, I had an idea. I got into a comfortable position and did my usual meditation routine, but this time I went to walk Grandma's property in my mind. <clears throat> as soon as I set foot on the edge of her property, I felt as if something took hold of me and drugged me, against my will, to the aquifer in the back left corner of the property. Aquifers are quite common on the island. They're basically huge holes in the ground, sometimes man-made with concrete, as in the case of Grandma's property, or sometimes they're natural, and they have huge stores of stagnant water. They're very still and have a somewhat unsettling vibe, even in the best circumstances. In all the ones I've seen, I've always imagined something lurking underneath the surface, watching and waiting for someone to get close enough to drag in. But this time I was particularly frightened. I went down under the surface, the dark clinging muck surrounding me while something held me and squeezed me and growled with rage. I felt like I was dying, like I was drowning. And then I woke up to my normally very sweet ginger tabby bopping me on the nose and hissing something she rarely does. My grandma is Danish, and I know they have a history with land whites, which is the best way I can describe what I felt. This was something old that wasn't human and had never been human, and it had lost someone it had a profound partnership with. My grandma's passing was very abrupt. She basically got sick, was diagnosed with cancer, and then passed in a matter of hours, so I, I don't think any of us really had a chance to process what was happening, the land included. I've not tried to visit the property again since and, and wonder if the new people renting the house have experienced anything. I'm sure Grandma's spirit is keeping the house safe and comfortable for them. She was always a great hostess and happiest with a full house. But the land, the land I'm not so sure about. And Senior, that is incredible. That's a fantastic story. And, you know, we, we're not big fans of saying something is just a dream on the show. And yeah, the, I, I was just... Uh, engrossed with that. Paul, what are your thoughts? Incredible, isn't it? And like you say, people always dismiss it and go, are you sure you weren't dreaming? It's all in your mind. No. Are you familiar with the term land white? No. Interesting. Let's have a quick look here. Spirits of the land in Norse mythology. There we go. 
They promote and they protect and promote the flourishing of specific places where they live, which can be as small as a rock or a corner of a field or as large as a section of a country. Mm. Interesting. Absolutely. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before, you know, a situation where someone who passed had such a strong connection to the land. I mean, I've definitely known people, you know, their passing has left a, a hole, but never someone who's had that kind of connection to the earth. Mm. The aunt who lived next to me for most of my life, my aunt and uncle, they lived on the corner uh, of the block where, I, where we grew up. She kept a, a wonderful garden mm. and, you know, it, it always felt wrong. She reached a point where she could no longer maintain the garden, but she did for as long as she could. Mm. Once she was gone, it, it felt, it definitely felt less, but I mean, that could just be because no one was planting anything anymore. It's, it's hard to say whether that's just me imagining it or it's actually something happening, you know? I think it's something that is deeply entwined into the psyche of humans in regards to their effect <clears throat> on the environment. And too often we focus on a person's connection with their home rather than their land. Which is, is, is silly when you think about it, because I mean, the home, homes are built, homes can be destroyed, but the land is, the land is forever or as forever as a thing can be. Mm. Plus the land was your life. You couldn't look after your land and you didn't have a connection with it. You'd die. That's very true. I will say that is something I wish I had more of. I'm not, I'm not an out, like I'm not a person who has a great connection to the outdoors. I never have been. And I, I wish I had that because it does seem, you know, I, I meet people who have that and a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine has that. And I, it just seems very gratifying, but I, I have no, I do not have that connection. I, I love to, to garden. It always reminds me of my grandfather. Oh, really? He had a garden? Yeah, he was a wonderful gardener. Uh, I, wish, I wish I was anywhere near as good as he was. Uh, like uh, food or, or flowers or both? Everything. <laughs> there was uh, nothing yeah. he couldn't grow. Very green really thing. Cool. So, uh, oh, the world needs people like that, that's for sure. Yeah. I've inherited it. And I, I find it uh, something that's always helped my, uh, my mental capacity is uh, spending some time pottering around, though I did tend to get a little bit obsessive in my iller days, like trimming trimming grass with scissors. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, antidepressants have some weird side effects, don't they? <laughs> I, I, I took antidepressants for a very brief period. I never trimmed any grass with scissors. Eh? Mm, that's what you're missing out on. I'd ask for a re-prescription. <laughs> I think after 20 years, I might have to, uh, might have to, <laughs> might take some doing, but I could try. <laughs> I'm not leaving here until I can cut grass. <laughs> I will yeah, tell you, I, I, this morning I took my microdose because I'm back microdosing psilocybin. Mm. And I, I assume my brain chemistry is in such desperate need of this that I don't even feel anything anymore. Because for a while there, I would feel a little bit of something when I took a microdose, even though it's like barely, barely enough to really feel. Uh, mm. But now I just take it and it's, it's just my brain just chews through it. No, you, there's none extra. You're not having any fun with this. We need this to repair whatever the fuck it is you've done to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Synapse bomb. Yeah, yeah, it really is. <laughs> Actually, I was reading this book. Um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's written by a journalist I met through some people in Vancouver, but it's about um, seven psychedelics and where they are in sort of the research cycle. Mm -hmm. LSD, psilocybin, ibogaine, which was a new one on me. Mm. Ketamine, oh. which <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, which I did not realize had pharmaceutical applications, mm -hmm. uh, aside from, you know, 
Raves. Yeah. <laughs> Deep concept albums. <laughs> but anyways, point being, uh, yeah, it was just fascinating that there was so many different the, the drugs being in, um, they were sort of being clinically evaluated for their efficacy. Mm. You know, apparently, Ibogaine had, had great uh, potential for treatment of heroin addiction. Mm. The way, you know, I guess it, it lasts, sort of disrupts the craving for a, you know, an extensive period. It's not a perfect solution, but it sort of disrupts the craving long enough for you to make the changes you need to make in the rest of your life to sort of avoid the triggers and, and things like this. Mm. So, as I, I mean, psilocybin was, I, I, I don't think I'm going to try something like uh, acid. You know, I'm not, I'm not that committed to the cause, but uh, it, it definitely has been made a huge difference for me. Mm. You know, even just microdosing. I, I know I, I should probably at some point do a macro dose. I'm told that can be a valuable experience, but it's, uh, I don't know. The idea of being uh, altered for that much time kind of bothers me. Mm. The best thing to do if you're doing that, put some Pink Floyd on. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. All right. So those digressions aside, Cynthia, thank you so, so much for the story. That was a wonderful story. And you sent us a number of them, which we, again, we will be sharing the rest at some point in the future. And if you have a story to tell, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a place to send it. We love hearing from you. We want to tell your story on the show. And if we can't tell it on the main show, maybe we'll get into a Book of the Dead episode, which we do sometimes. And again, that's ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S H O. U T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. 
and no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, available everywhere fine podcasts live. His latest episode, Skeletons Are Awesome, just dropped, and it is a lot of fun. And uh, we get to do a little bit of voice acting on that one too, which is always a good time. Don't forget to check out Joseph's show, The Cardinal Rule, if you're a football fan. That is about Arizona Cardinals football, and you can find that on YouTube. And uh, I believe also now on Spotify. Joseph and I also co-host the monthly horror live stream, Weird Together, about the latest and greatest in independent horror films. And of course, thank you, my friend and co-host, the inimitable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? We have the return of Chad Lewis. Fabulous. Diving into Winter Legends and Lore, and then I'm off to Canada. For two successive episodes, uh, one covering Sasquatch and his wanderings around that great former colony of the marvellous United Kingdom, <laughs> and uh, and then some chap called Brennan Stoll talking about his book he's recently released. He sounds like a bum, is who this guy sounds like. He, he was okay. I, I worked with him a lot, and uh, we, we, we did okay. It was, uh, it was okay once, once he got over his nerves. So that was yeah. great fun. And then the mighty Paul Sinclair returns. Fabulous. And where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms and podcast aggregators. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my archived interview podcast, Largely the Truth of Brennan Store, everywhere fine podcasts live. And of course, as I mentioned, Weird Together. It's a monthly YouTube live stream with Joseph Camo where we talk about the latest and greatest. An independent horror. Recently, we talked about Something in the Dirt, which is a fabulous independent horror film that I, I very much encourage you to check out. All right. So as we said at the top of the show, this show is supported by our patrons. We exist because of our patrons. And so we wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you'd like to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have all kinds of tiers. We have tiers at 1, 5, 10, and 20. And he had all kinds of stuff like bonus shows. I just did a, an episode of Host Adventures with Kev Eustace from We Need to Talk About Ghosts and the Dark Paranormal. That's going to be released in two parts over the next couple of weeks. Paul and I did a live show, which we're going to be doing monthly now for patrons at the $10 level and above, where we just shoot the breeze with you guys. And again, you can find all of that at patreon.com slash guys. And of course, if you support us at the $20 level, that makes you part of an elite club. That makes you part of Ghost Force. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Every two weeks, we thank the members of Ghost Force here in this segment in defiance of God and all his angels. Bless them. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are Atham Saragon, Amy Chamberlain. Brandy, Carrie Lambertus, Cheryl Baker, Crazy Mom, Generic Bob, Hannah Brown, Hannah Siemens, 
Hillary Jade Jason R. Slaughter. JJ907. Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Shaco. Joseph Camo. Kimberly Hansen. Maddie Leatherman. Mara Noriega. Mark Semler. Peter Gunn 08.5. Rebecca Brink. Ronder Sheen. And Robin Dean. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are Ghost Force. For real, guys, thank you so, so much. You, you guys are the heart and soul of this. We cannot do this without you, and we deeply, deeply appreciate your support. Yes, and I don't harmonize for many people. That's it. Yeah, this is a rare this is a rare treat. Ghost Force and the Bee Gees. That's it. <laughs> See? Yeah, no, this is a steamed company, guys. And again, if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. I don't have any podcast slots coming up right now, but my first article for Haunted Magazine will be published in issue 37. So that should be out uh, soon? Uh, end of February, beginning of March, I believe. Brilliant. Well, we'll make sure to post about that on our uh, on our Facebook page and, and various socials. That's very cool. Can you, can you give us a, a spoiler as to what it's about? It's about the ghost that haunts my local park. Oh, very cool. All right. I've not found it yet. In, just got to keep looking. I'm, I'm ghost hunting, baby. That's why I'm in the public park at night. <laughs> Honestly, at my park, there's always some dickhead wandering about with fireworks. So it won't be lonely. It's probably why you can't find it. It's probably buggered off. <laughs> yeah. Even the ghost had enough of this shit. <laughs> Again, don't forget to check out the revamped ghoststoryguys.com. Scroll down from the from the main page, and you'll see the uh, you'll see the store. All kinds of cool designs, and yeah, I mean, we also have our still have our Redbubble and T Public stores. But I am I ordered some samples from the uh, the new fourth wall store. Very very happy with the quality. So again, that's ghoststoryguys.com for all your GSG merch needs. Shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts, of course, as you know by now, the project of California-based film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. You can find Jerry's music streaming as Rainy Days for Ghosts everywhere. You get your tunes. And if you want to hire Jerry to score your next project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. Well then, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. But until then... Into the darkness we go. Everyone who li- Jesus karate <laughs> talking with my hands now I'm really Italian power upgrade <laughs> me, and, me and me and Kratos <laughs> <laughs> exactly time to abandon my son again.
<laughs> I'm a really bad father. This is really bothering Brent. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Well, I wasn't far away, but it's not. Uh, yeah. Oh, Christ. <laughs> well. <laughs> oh boy boy oh boy peekaboo yep yep the eternal peekaboo I gotta come up with a better system for this I've been saying that for four months telling you you wanna move some t-shirts you just gotta off me